Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. Try to bring in all of the people that know all of the things. He is an economist, NYU professor, attorney, businessman, activist, author of Understandable Economics. So we're going to get a 101 right here on the Karen Hunter Show. Let me welcome Professor Howard Yaris. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Thank you for having me. Good to, yes, good to, to see you. Good to bring you on. Before we mm-hmm. dive into your book, um, the loan forgiveness that Jennifer Jones Austin was talking about, the economics of that, was it a good economic move to forgive loans? Was it good for the country? Two different questions. There's one easy answer, and that is all of the people who just sat quietly by as Trump gave $1.7 trillion to the wealthiest people in this nation have no possible way of, of opposing this. So you, everything has to be put in perspective. And if you put it in that perspective, this is going to be, they estimated it, an expense of a roughly $300 billion going to people who have large student loans. So if you didn't criticize the $1.7 trillion going to the wealthiest people, you have no right to criticize this. So that's my first response to that. Is it a good good way to spend money? Yeah, there are a lot of students suffering from heavy debts. This forgiveness is aimed at people who have modest incomes. So I personally think it's a good thing. I'm sure there are other people out there who could come up with even more targeted help for people who are, who are under duress. But the point is, it's politics. Only certain things can get done. And if you compare this to the $1.7 trillion that went to the wealthiest people, this is a home run, in my opinion. See, you are already doing what is making it understandable. All right. So you start, <laughs> off, you start off your book telling us that, it, you know, it, econ, economics is not a science. It's not biology. It's not right. organic chemistry. It's psychology. It's a social mm-hmm. science. And, mm-hmm. and the way you just described that, like, if you're not complaining about that, shut up and sit down somewhere. Um, my words. But... We understand, like right now, the market, bear market. We're in a bear market. My my mm-hmm. retirement and my stock portfolio looks like absolute blood in the streets. But I know this is a long-term situation that I'm in. You know, I'm, I'm playing the long game. I'm doing dividends. So I'm not going to be emotional about the stocks. But I should have pulled out of my Bitcoin stuff. That I should have done. I left it in mm-hmm. something that went bankrupt, so I can't I can't get it now. And um you know, it's it's uh, it is emotional. You know, money's emotional. Money Very is emotional. Yes. But a lot of people forget that. And that was the point of the book that a lot of people think, oh, it's like physics where there's a right and a wrong answer. Economics is about allocation of society's wealth. So the goods and services our society produces. And that's a value judgment. There's no way of getting around that. There's no right or wrong answer as to who who should get what. And what motivated the book was that even though society is getting wealthier, people are losing faith in capitalism. If you look at, I I looked at polls and young people have even less faith in capitalism. The majority of young people have lost faith in capitalism. And so middle-class jobs were disappearing. A lot of the progress we've been making has come to an end and people are frustrated. So I wrote the book because my view is, if you don't understand the system, you can't change it. So my goal was to help people understand about the economy. 
There have been so many responses, Occupy Wall Street, Donald Trump, the Tea Party, but they haven't resulted in any positive change. So I wanted to give people the tools and the foundation, foundational knowledge to try to try to come up with something better than what, what we've come up with so far. All right, I'm here for it. Um, understandable <laughs> economics in Chapter 1. What do Helen Keller, Adolf Hitler, Oscar Wilde, Joseph Stalin, and Nelson Mandela have in common? Tell us. Uh, they all call themselves socialists. The whole point is we economists and political scientists spend God, God only knows how much time discussing the distinctions between socialism and Marxism and communism and capitalism. My feel is you just try to come up with something that works, that makes people's lives better. And that's the point of the book. You can discuss all those isms from now to kingdom come. But the goal is to come up with policies that make people's lives better. And the goal of the book is to give people a background on economics so that they can see through all a lot of this rhetoric and a lot of the morass created by all these isms and try to figure out what policies would, would work well. And giving and getting back to student loans, you could argue that, and there are people arguing, this is not a good expenditure of, of the federal government's money. On the other hand, think about the 1.7 trillion that went to the wealthy. So in the grand scheme of things, given what's possible in the real world, not that theoretical world, what we can get done in the real world, it's a good thing. Now, there are levels to this as somebody that paid six figures in taxes last year, right? I paid Thank more you. taxes. Yeah, no, and I'm, and I'm okay, right? So there's a level of socialism, right? Because I pay taxes for children I don't have in school systems, for food programs for people, I, and I'm happy to do it. But then I sit back and Elon Musk didn't pay the taxes that I paid, and he makes way more money than I do. I'm sure Jeff Bezos didn't pay the taxes that I paid. And he makes way more money than I do. And so there's an imbalance. And it's also, you know, like people feel like with the student loan thing, I had to pay my student loans and you don't have to. I don't like that. I don't like that my money is going to help you do something that I had to scrape and, you know, get by to do myself. How do we navigate that, the emotions of that? Well, we should all be in this together. And I think a lot of it, people don't even realize how tilted the playing field is. For instance, hedge fund managers pay a lower tax rate than you or me or virtually anyone. I don't, there's something called the, the a carried interest um, characterization of their income, where, where their income is, they don't pay tax on it as if it were income. They pay tax on it as if it were investment gains, which is taxed to the lower rate. That's just one of the many examples in understandable economics about how the tax system and the economic system isn't quite a level playing field. And we're all in this together. And the, the goal of the book was to have people get people better informed about what's going on so that they can support policies to to level the playing field and provide more opportunity. All right. Professor Yaris, break it down. Uh, mm -hmm. you're, you're, I'm giving you a magic wand. Give me a, a okay. magic wand. Um, let's say, where where would you start in this country? Because I feel like we have to start eating this elephant elephant one bite at a time. So we have to start at, like, maybe start with a city in America. I know in Stockton, California, they tried the basic income, which was working. And then they, they didn't vote the mayor back in <laughs> who brought in the basic income, even though people said this is working, it's working. They they didn't elect him to continue the thing that he started, which I think is insane. <laughs> it's insane. What would you do and where would you start? 
Oh, thanks for that question. Your your show is about urban issues. I've spent my whole life. Well, well let me pause city. you. Let me pause you. Because we throw around these terms without, because this country has shaped terminology. No, my show is about all people being free. Mm -hmm. I'm doubling down on my community because I believe that you start where you, where, where it all began on the backs of black people. So we're going to start there and shoring that up. And because Mm -hmm. the dollar only circulates six, six hours in my community, I feel like when we do this, it's why we give out stimulus checks. If we give Mm -hmm. out stimulus checks, the people are going to spend money. I don't know why it doesn't work across the board. Right. So I'm going to double down and make sure that my community's good because when my Mm -hmm. community's good, the the whole country's good and probably the world too. So it's not just urban because we have people listening to us in Toronto. We have people Mm -hmm. listening to us in Puerto Rico. We have people listening to us in the South in California Mm -hmm. and, and all throughout in rural areas as well. So Urban is is cold for black. I reject that. So I'm just going to say that. I reject, I reject it. it too. I, I went to a large urban in Brooklyn, a uh, public high school that was actually closed. It was so bad after I left. So um, I'm, a, I'm very interested in urban areas geographically and in many other ways. What would I do? I think there's a problem when when cities, let's, let's use the word cities, when cities try to uh, promote ambitious social programs because to the extent their tax rates go up they can lose a lot of the taxpayers so i think if i had the magic wand federal level i would do it at the federal level and you ask you open this by asking me a question i'll ask you a question guess what the top tax rate was under president dwight eisenhower a 1950s republican by the way it's about 39 percent now what do you think it was under dwight eisenhower a 1950s republican by the way under Obama, who was called a socialist, it was 37.9%. So that dimensions it for you. What would you guess is the tax rate under Eisenhower? 19, 20%? Um, 91%. What? Yep. I went in the opposite direction. Wait, hold on. Wait. So for every, every dollar you made, you were paying 91 cents in taxes? That was the top rate. That was for the for So who, who was paying that? The, so wait, so you're telling me, Not Professor the, Yaris, <laughs> Henry Ford, Henry Ford, like, you know, somebody rich, you know, I'm, I'm in Jersey. Ed, Edison. Edison might have been rich because, you know, stole a lot of people's patents and stuff, or, you know, allegedly. He was paying for every dollar 91 cents to the federal the government. Top earners. That's it's, crazy. That was the rate. I I don't know off the top of my head what what income it kicked in it. In at it was a, it was a few hundred thousand dollars. Wow. Uh, it was ninety one percent. Richard Nixon, my lifetime, maybe yours. Richard Nixon, you know what the rate, what top rate was under Richard Nixon? Seventy percent. These are quote conservative Republicans. So how was Obama a socialist with thirty seven point nine percent? Again, the point is to arm, the point of the book is to arm people with knowledge so they can push back against these claims of Obama being a socialist or whatever you hear out there. It's oh, economics incorporates values, and it's important that people realize that what they what policies they support also should reflect their values. 
866-801-8255. Howard Yaris is here. Uh, he's got a new book. It's called Understandable Economics. And it's really trying to, you know, not make economics such a, you know, uh, they try to make it. I, I, I watch CNBC. I tell, you know, the audience every day. That's the first thing that I tune. I don't tune into CNBC, CNN, and, and Fox. Definitely not, you know, um, because I want to know what the markets are up to. The first thing I read is the Financial Times. Right. Mm-hmm. It's the first thing I read. It used to be the Wall Street Journal. Now it's the Financial Times mm-hmm. because they're going to shape the way the world is actually being shaped through mm-hmm. through the economics of the world. You know, mm-hmm. the the global um, citizens. Um, so is that is that what you would what would you suggest people who are listening to read your book, of course, but how should they interact? Well, there's a whole range of ways you can get involved and you. Though a lot about activism yourself, uh, you can support politicians who have better policies. You could run for office yourself. You could protest. There's so many, so many ways to get involved. It's just that it, economics intimidates people, and you need to get some foundational knowledge and some familiarity with it, so that your the intimidation factor gets reduced, and people get more emboldened and more confident and um, better able to assert themselves. Eight six six eight zero one eight two five five. So how did you get into it? Growing up in Brooklyn, I'm imagining, yeah. you know, what? I went to a terrible high school. I worked as a cashier. And what, what I section? What section? Midwood? Uh, Brooklyn. Bensonhurst. Oh, good guess. That's not very far. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because people settle where they settle around people who are, you know, and Bensonhurst was complicated, particularly in the 80s. So you, Absolutely. you just you just slipped in when the Italians just came in <laughs> and they like the black people. And it's like, what, what are you people doing here? New York is so strange. OK, so you grew up. I'm going to assume in a primarily Jewish neighborhood in Brooklyn. It was Jewish, Italian, Irish, mm-hmm. but the high school was very mixed because the Sheep Said Nostrand Houses, which was a NYCHA project, fed into that. It was literally across the street from the school. Okay, I know exactly where that is because so I used to cover oh, high really? school. Yeah, I covered high school sports, uh, so I had to be all over. Oh, it was terrible. But um, that, I, I and it made an impression on me because then I went to Brown University and I saw a totally different world there. And it wasn't when I taught economics, I asked, why do people earn money? And they say, because they work, worked harder. I think the people in the in the grocery store I worked in as a cashier worked harder than in the the major company, financial services company I was an executive officer of. So it wasn't that they worked harder. There's a lot going on. And I think that there are a lot of inequities that people need to focus on. I think people internalize, well, if I'm not earning a lot of money, I'm either not working hard enough or I'm not smart enough. But there's more than just smarts and hard work that go into being successful. So what goes in? Are you are you considered successful? Do you consider yourself successful? Yes, I I definitely consider myself successful. I've had a, a fascinating career and I've done decently financially. So, yes, I definitely consider myself successful. What was your blueprint? My blueprint was to work hard and study hard and to try to 
to use common sense and to be practical. I think that's a very important thing. No, 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 no that's a word salad. What was your blueprint? So you went to school, you went to Brown. So you Ivy League. Then mm-hmm. you decided you were going to go get an advanced degree. I'm imagining. And, I, and I, then, went to, I went to I went to University of Pennsylvania Law School. Law right. school. Okay, because so because okay. making money that you can make money as a lawyer mm-hmm. back then. Today, I think lawyers, all lawyers, we don't really really need them. I don't really mess with lawyers too much. I feel like I feel like teachers should get that money. Whatever money we're paying lawyers, give them to teachers, uh-huh. and let's make the world a better place. That said, uh, Professor Yaris, when did you, was the goal a certain amount of money? Did you invest the money? Did you did, you know? Did you have you know tips that were brought to you? And you like like what was your pathway to success? Quote unquote wealth. My pathway was I was very interested in, in what I was doing. I was very interested in the law and I worked hard and I earned enough money to make myself feel successful and financially independent. What was that number? What was the number? Yeah, no, uh, man, I'm not getting in your business. What I'm saying is like, OK, like I know what my number is. I know at a certain point. The, the stocks that I invest in will pay me X amount of dollars a month in, in right. dividends. And that's what my, my bills are X amount. And the stock dividends are going to pay me more than my bills. And I could retire at that right. point right. and not have to work because the dividends are going to pay for my lifestyle if I choose to and never touch the principal. That to yeah. me is success. That's, yeah, and that's a, that's a great definition. The fact that you could live off your investment income I think by anyone's standard, that would be a, a definition for success. Okay. So, yes, I've met that. How's that for an answer? Okay. I'll accept it. <laughs> 866-801-8255. All but right. I want to get back to one thing you asked. If I had a magic wand, because we were talking about cities trying to, to create opportunity and the fact that they'd have to raise taxes and people could move elsewhere, my, my magic wand would be to get closer to the kind of tax rates we had under Eisenhower and Nixon. Eisenhower and Nixon, no one could accuse them, no matter how loose the definition of socialism is, no one would ever consider claiming that Eisenhower and Nixon were socialists. I would move closer to those definitions. I'd set those high rates at a very high income, um, and that would be my, my, one, my one step to, t- to try to level the playing field. But you do know we're not in a political what a Republican, what a Democrat is space right now, uh, because Eisenhower, if I recall, and Nixon, actually Nixon has some really amazing programs, particularly for black businesses, small businesses and uh, pastors of churches. He supported black clergy strategic it was brilliant at the same time as he was flooding our communities with drugs and and demonizing us and arresting us and putting us incarcerating us and and feeding the slavery system he was also doing the the that dance republicans in eisenhower and even in nixon's day were known as fiscal fiscally sound it was the party of yes of being fiscally sound what we have right now is really about white nationalism, power, and otherizing everybody for power mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. to maintain this fake notion of whiteness, this made-up construct for power, to manipulate people for power. It has nothing to do with really what the roots and the tenets of, of the parties were supposed to be about. Well, I think it's power and money. They, again, that 1.7, don't... <laughs> Don't forget about the $1.7 trillion. It's a lot of money. 
But but you know, to that point, Professor Yaris, the majority of people that voted for these policies didn't get that one point seven trillion dollars. The very, very, oh, the very minuscule. Right. So so those people are still without their teeth with their three legged dogs living in trailer homes while they're voting for their rate they're voting for white nationalism, but they're not getting that money. The one percent. So it's a trick all the way around that has nothing to do with actual, you know, Republican ethics, you know, and ethos. It's weird. I don't even know what that means anymore. Again, if it looks like a fish, if it smells like a fish, if it tastes like a fish, it's a fish. What they're doing now, what their quote-unquote ethos is, I have no idea. All I know is what they've done in the past few years, and it hasn't been good, and it hasn't been fair, and it hasn't been equitable. I've always been, you know, someone that you know wants to strategize, but I'm like right now we don't we don't have the the luxury to vote for Republicans. They have lost their way. This is not going to work. I just feel like there's not not a single Republican right now that I feel like we should vote for. That's not the way I started this show. My 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 show was like let's let's register as Republican. Let's infiltrate the party, party of Lincoln. Let's go. I, right now, I can't even trust <laughs> the system. But they don't believe in our system. They just don't believe in our system. There is a way to make our system more equitable. In America, there are just so many, you you know better than I, how many inequities there have been over the years. But the goal is to have progress, to move the ball from here to here, to make it better. And that's not what's happening now. And there's so much frustration out there because of that. And I just fear for the nation if it doesn't, if we don't work to improve it. And that's in my little way, I wrote this book to help people understand the economy better in the hope that we would get better policies to promote opportunity and promote people who, who are struggling. All right. We're going to take some calls. Howard Yaris is here. He's an economist, a professor, a lawyer. Uh, his book is called Understandable Economics. I actually have a question from the Nubia chat. Uh, Ingrid wants to know what will it take to close the racial wealth gap? And they said it's going to take 238 years or something. And what effect can occur if one of these cryptocurrencies become an alternate economy? I don't think that's going to happen. But what are your thoughts? I have two thoughts on that. One, the point I make in understandable economics is the average, the median wealth for a black family is one tenth the median wealth for a white family. What can I? What can we do? We plenty of people spend a lot of time talking about it. It may be overly, overly simplistic increase the tax rates and provide more services to people who are struggling. Better education, better uh, training. There are, there are people whose expertise is figuring out how to provide economic opportunity. That's not mine. My expertise is just figuring out how you get them the resources. And the way that you get them the resources is by increasing taxes on those who are doing well and assisting uh, people who, are, who aren't doing as well. Uh, Bank of America just uh, started uh, announced an initiative. I'm looking for I have like 50,000 papers in front of me, but there, there's an initiative I saw today to help with this. Come on. Let me find it. One second. Mr. Yaris. I can't. Oh, it fell on the floor. All right. Here we go. Here we go. I just want to make a point. That's not going to provide an overnight solution, but. People, especially people who are struggling, are, are generally kind of patient. If they see their situation improving, that's been, you talk about minorities in America, there was a, a period where things were improving. Most people saw their situation improving. And I think the problem we have now is that that uh, constant improvement is, is seems to be coming to an end. People are losing faith. People are yeah. losing hope. 
And that has to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. Bank of America announced an effort aimed at bolstering home ownership opportunities among the global majority, those are black and Latinos in, in America, with plans to offer zero down payment, zero closing cost mortgage options in certain neighborhoods. I think this is brilliant. They're going to be targeting Charlotte, to your point, the urban Charlotte, Dallas, Detroit, Los Angeles, Miami, as well as other markets. And I think this is the least they can do since these banks were the same banks that helped destroy right, home ownership. Which is where wealth is built in this country, land ownership. That's a really good point. When I when I said, what would you use those extra tax dollars for? You would use it for providing education, training. That would that what you just raised would be an, an extremely good use for that money because redlining excluded minorities for so many years from owning homes and increasing wealth from generation to generation, and assisting them. To, to acquire homes with low down payments would be to get them back on that track to building equity. I, I agree. Uh, I think that would be a great program. Yes, yes. And we're the global majority. That scares mm-hmm. people. That scares people. Let's go to Charles in Charles, North Carolina. <laughs> Let's scare the people. Charles, hey, welcome. You're on with Professor Yaris. Hi. Hi, how are you? Um, I apologize because I got on late. Okay. But I want to ask a question and make an observation. Does your book address uh, trickle-down policies, Reaganomics? Absolutely. There's, there's this constant um, misunderstanding that if you give tax breaks to the wealthy, somehow they would create jobs and give opportunities to people who are unemployed or people who want better jobs. But this is one of the main points of the book. If you use common sense, that makes no, that makes no sense. Because what wealthy person is going to invest in a new business if there aren't consumers out there to buy the goods and services that build the business is going to provide? On the other hand, if you give the money to the average person, if the money, if the average person has a, a good amount of money to spend, they're going to go to various businesses and create demand, and then the businesses will get investment that way. We'll, we'll find out how to how to finance the uh, expansion of the business and create jobs that way. It's the demand that'll cause the businesses to grow, not just throwing extra money at the investors. I love it. Great, great question. Great response. I love how your book breaks down so many things. I've often been saying that, you know, Made in America when I was growing up was a mantra, it was a song, it was themes, like it was everything. And I remember when everything started getting outsourced and everything from our underwear to our pots and pans were made someplace else. And I was like, this is not going to bear well. Because if we're not producing things, then we're dependent on other people. And mm-hmm. what happens if there's supply chain issues? I knew that as a young person. And mm-hmm. now here we are. The Suez Canal backs up and we can't get toilet paper for a month. Or baby or formula. Yes, or baby formula. Yeah, I, you address that in your book, too. Um, what do you want people to get when they pick up your, your book? What do you want them to walk away with? I want people to walk away with with a, a less a lower level of frustration about the economy. I want them to have a better understanding of how the economy works and so that they could they could figure out what policies represent their values, what policies they think would work better, uh, help more people pr- provide more opportunity and um, and their and enable them to participate in the political process in a way that that they feel empowered. Mm, that's that's that. the, 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 the it's an ambitious goal, I know. 
No, I mean, but every ambitious goal starts with the little things, and you have exactly you right. Know, given us the baby steps and understandable <laughs> and understandable economics, uh, Doctor. I want to call you Doctor. Professor Howard Yaris, he teaches uh, this stuff as well, and he's a doc, he's a uh, attorney and a business person and an activist. Thank you for being here. Let's let's keep. Oh, thank you so much, Karen. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure. I appreciate You're you doing great work. Thank you. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to the Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126, or anytime on the Sirius XM app. <laughs>